Father, we worship you tonight. We magnify the name of your Son tonight. The Lord Jesus is everything to our souls, to our lives. He's our all and our all. Very life itself he is to us. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We worship you because you alone are worthy of the praise and the glory and the honor and the strength and the power. Be unto you that sits at the right hand of God. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit among us here in our presence tonight. Lord, you're good and you're gracious and you're kind and you're faithful and you're compassionate and you're merciful. We love you, Lord. Except of what has gone on so far in this meeting, Lord, as the offering up of our hearts, the worship of our very heart, Lord. And Father, now as we break the bread of life here, We pray, O God, that you would be glorified in everything to the glory and honor of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you move from seat to seat and heart to heart and bless each and every one, convict and convince, compel, Lord, whatever you deem it fit to do. Lord, help this man of frailty and of clay lips to ready to divide this word, the word of God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Exodus? The book of Exodus, please, chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Tonight we want to speak on manna, meat, and murmuring multitude. The murmuring multitude, or as I first initially wrote down here, manna, meat, and murmuring mouths. Manna, meat, and murmuring mouths. Exodus 16 and verse 1, please. And they took their journey from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured. Notice this. The whole lot of them murmured. A people who couldn't be satisfied. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no It came to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even, then you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it shall come to pass that at even the quails come up and covered the camp, and in the morning the Jew lay round about the host. When the Jew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, Is it manna? For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. We'll stop there for the meantime. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word. I think when we read here, we see the words murmuring, murmured, and murmur. We can see that the Lord has taken this very seriously at the murmurings of his people. You know, in Exodus chapter 15, just the previous chapter, if you'll turn over, we're going to skip across a few verses for time's sake. Israel go from singing songs of victory and songs of redemption and songs of triumph, songs of the glory of God after coming through the Red Sea on dry shod and there seeing the Egyptians being swallowed up by the sea behind them. After their deliverance, after all of this, they start to praise the Lord. Exodus 15 then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. Verse 2, notice what he says. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. The word salvation there is the Hebrew word Yeshua, the Lord God, El, and then it's Elohim later. The creator God, the almighty God, has become my salvation. Salvation was seen when the sea opened up and stood on two walls and the ground was blown dry by the wind. Salvation was seen and salvation was had when Israel walked across it in faith. Think about it, the fear of it with the two walls up. Two walls of water. What if they come crashing down around us and we don't get to the other side? Now we take it all so glibly and so lightly. But it took a lot of faith for those people to walk across that sea. And we can find here that Israel are praising the Lord on the other side. They sing, as it were, the salvation of the Lord in the manifestation of his power and his glory and the opening of the sea and the drying of the ground and then the judgment upon the Egyptians crashing down around them. And when they sing of the salvation of the Lord, here in verse 2, the Lord, the word is Yah, shortened for Yahweh, Yah is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. The Lord Jesus Christ is called Yeshua HaMashiach. That is Jesus the Messiah. And so when we look at the person of Christ, when we look at the, the man Christ Jesus, we see God's salvation in Christ and Christ alone. He is the Yeshua that Israel saw for he is the Yah who brought the salvation to Israel. And here again, Yahweh or Jehovah God, the great Elohim, the creator, he comes and he manifests his glory in a cloud through the sea, now on a cloud. And he's saying, will you trust me? And yet the greatest manifestation of the glory of God is seen by men as weakness because it is in the person of Christ and the cross work of Christ, finished work of Christ. And people find when they look at the Lord Jesus Christ, how can a man forgive me of my sin? How can a man die for all of our sins? It's so small. It seems so insignificant. Surely God must break forth the clouds and all of the heavenly hosts come down and we would be saved. And the answer is, friend, no, no, and three times no. God himself came down. 
but in the person of his son, clothed in flesh. And God came down and died in the person of the man Christ Jesus, tasted death for every man, that those of us who trust in him will be saved, will be forgiven of our sins. Doesn't matter the walk of life or who we are, what we have and what we don't have, what we look at, what side of the fence we came from, what side of town we grew up in. For all of us who come to saving faith in Christ, all of us who believe in him, seems that a lamb is so insignificant, yet God set forth the blood of the lamb for the redemption of sin. And the blood of the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, John the Baptist cried. It seems so insignificant, and you can see that even these Israelites, they looked at the hoarfrost of manna. They looked at it, and it seemed little, and it seemed so insignificant. How can this be any good to me? Well, brothers and sisters, we know because we're saved that little is much when God is in it. And little as much when God is in it. The insignificance to the human psyche and thinking is, a man dying on a cross, how can that save a soul? How could I be forgiven through the blood of a man on a cross 2,000 odd years ago? And brothers and sisters, this is the way, this is the plan and the purpose which the Father has purposed in him from before the foundation of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth was not an afterthought, a plan B of God, because Israel failed. He's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He was slain before we were even born, but he was even slain before, as it were, the words were framed, because he is eternal. The lamb was in the mind of God, the time, the place to be slain for you and for me. So Israel are singing that Yah has become my Yeshua, my salvation. And we can sing tonight that Yah, Yahweh, has become our Yeshua, our Jesus. For that's what the word is. In verse 3, they're singing, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. In verse 6, they're singing, thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Verse 7, they're singing, And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, and consumed them as stubble. They're singing about the victory of the Lord in the salvation of men. The victory of the Lord in the salvation of men. And when the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, it wasn't something that was a defeat. It was a victory of the Lord in the salvation of men and women. Your salvation and mine is found in the victory of Calvary, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 11, just to finish this, they're singing, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, small g? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Notice, we've been told even that Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, she gets her timbrels out and they're like little tambourines and she's playing away. And all these Israelite women, they're, they're dancing and they're singing and the men are making merry. How great is our God? And we just go a lot of days later and here we find that they even murmur around the pool of Mara. As soon as they have a chance to think about things and the glory of God to die in their memory, they start to murmur again. How quickly has their heart turned from the Lord? And how soon has their unbelief veiled their minds? And how swiftly has their manifest joy turned into a murmuring multitude of mouths. The first mention of the word murmured, murmured, is the word loon, and it is found in Exodus chapter 20, pardon me, 15 and verse 24. Exodus 15, let's look at it in verse 24. 
Or maybe it's, oh yes. And the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Here they are murmuring at Marah. And of course this word to murmur is the same word throughout the Old Testament, loon. There is a, a, what's known as a second rendering, and it means it is the word lean. But the word loon is the main thrust of the word here. Listen to what it says and what it means, because it's, it's strange when we want to look at what were they doing when they were murmuring with their mouths. It means to lodge, as to lodge somewhere overnight, to stop over. It means to stay somewhere and pass the evening there. It was like when the angels came to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it, and they're walking through it, and Lot is saying, come and stay the night, come in from the night and stay here and abide with us. It's the word for murmur, loon. And I'll tell you why, because when this word is placed together in what they are doing in the second rendering, it means also to grudge, to complain, to be obstinate, and to be stubborn. And so what this means is the children of Israel were like a child who were spoiled and they stopped dead. They wouldn't do a thing. They didn't want to move. Come on, Israel, we're leading you on in this salvation. Some of God's people's like that today. I don't want to go. I don't want to go any further. I want to go back to the world. I want to go there. The music's better and the flesh pots and the food was better. And they're stopped dead in their tracks. It means they will lodge in that condition. One rendering is they put, it's like blinkers on a horse. And all they can think of is their murmuring. Their murmuring. Their mindset is completely and totally fixed. They are, as it were, and as it seems, stopped over. Like going to visit someone and sleeping and abiding there. They're going to stay in this position they're going to stay in this condition and no one's going to change my mind. Now, that's the idea of this word. See the strength of it now? It's the Lord speaking to someone tonight and that's what you've been. No, nothing's going to make my mind up. You're not going to change my mind. You're being told about the glorious gospel of Christ and you dig the heels and I, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to give my life to Christ. I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to surrender my life. And you fight against him. And you argue against him. And maybe there's a Christian here and the Lord has been speaking to you and you've been obstinate and stubborn and you've dug the heels in and says, Lord, I'm not doing it because if I give that over to you, then this will happen or that won't happen or I'm afraid it will happen. Such were God's people. The Israelites remained in a persistent form of murmuring and complaining. That's what it means. They remained like that. They didn't change themselves. They didn't try to come out of it. You know, and I know there are, there are some people and you just can't please them no matter what you do. No matter how you try, there's just some people you cannot shift And there's some people you can't even help. And the Lord was laying it all before Israel. And in their stubbornness and their murmuring, we are staying in this condition and we won't move on. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's time to move on from that position and that condition that you are in. A condition of the heart. A condition of the mind. A condition of an angry spirit. A condition of an aggression, an unapproachable condition where people can't even befriend you nor help you because you have this aura about you, this air in your spirit and in your heart where your mind is fixed and your mind has been seared by things that have happened and you blame everybody on the world, every man and his dog but yourself. I know that's difficult, but that's who we are at times. And this is what happened In our reading, the last mention in the Old Testament of the word murmured, if you will turn with me, please, is in the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 29. 
Isaiah chapter 29, please. And the Lord again is speaking to Israel. But we'll just take the last verse, just for time's sake. It says, They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. In other words, the Lord will teach you a lesson. The Lord still teaches his people a lesson. He teaches the nation a lesson. He teaches the individual lesson. He teaches, if you want, the assembly a lesson. He teaches us a lesson. Take a note here. The word murmured, M-U-R-M-U-R-E-D, murmured, is 19 times in the Scripture. It is 10 times in the Old Testament and nine times in the New Testament. Murmuring is used twice in the whole of the Scriptures, and both times they are used in the New Testament. Both times. And the word murmur is nine times in Scripture, seven times in the Old Testament, and two times in the New Testament. Notice this. Every single time, whether it's murmured, murmuring, or murmur. Every single time, it is in relation to God with those of Israel. It's in relation to God with those of Israel. It's in relation to him, he and his covenant nation. And notice this. Every single mention is in conjunction with God's people. Every one of them. It's not the heathen. It's not the Assyrian or the Syrian or the Egyptian here. It's not the Babylonian. It's none of them. It's Israel he's dealing with here. It's God's people. In Isaiah 29, verse 24, they also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. He's speaking of the same people in this verse. For they will then, they murmured and they'll learn, he says, doctrine. See the term here, this they shall come to an understanding. It means the spiritually blind in the nation. Take heed of this. The spiritually blind in the nation shall come to an understanding. The word for understanding here is the word binaw. Binaw. And listen carefully what it means. It means it gives the idea of the object of knowledge not just the faculty of knowledge, not just, well, we know something. It gives the idea about not what we know, but who we know. And the Lord is saying to Israel, to his covenant people, he's saying to the covenant nation, he's saying, you will know me. You may say you know me, but you disregard me. But you will know me. You will come to an understanding of me, and I will be glorified in you. This is what God does with his people. Notice here, the word here for understanding also is the word discernment. God is saying, you're going to have discernment. What is right before God and what is wrong before God. You're going to have discernment of what God accepts and what God rejects. I think of the days in our nation when we can look at this. And I think of how we can see what has happened in our land. And especially, it's like a a, a tidal wave of a run-in these last few years. And this can be spoken over the United Kingdom and, and Ireland. It can be spoken over America and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and so on. It can be spoken over those who were covenanted unto God. Those who were built on the foundations of the law of God. Those nations that were once Christian nations. Notice, they are spiritually blind. Israel is spiritually blind. 
Spiritual blindness brings unbelief. You can see it all around the place today, can't you? Spiritually blind in the cities, in the towns, in your workplace, among your family and your friends. Spiritually blind in the capital. Spiritually blind in government. Spiritually blind that they can't see what is happening in the days and the hour in which we are living in. Spiritual blindness brings unbelief. Spiritual blindness makes men believe God cannot know what they think, nor can he see what they're doing. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual blindness makes men believe that God cannot know what they think, nor can he see what they are doing. And that is the state of Ulster tonight. That is the state of our people tonight. And listen, that's the state of many Christians tonight. Spiritual blindness makes man believe he is the master of his own destiny. He is the master of his own intelligence. And he is all there is in life. And he is all he or she will ever need. And hence they become gods of their own making and of their own life. And God doesn't exist as far as many are concerned. And I am the master of my destiny. And hence I will do my own thing my own way. Spiritual blindness rejects Christ and his glorious gospel. Spiritual blindness causes one to rest upon their own understanding. And all we see today is if the, if the scientists say uh, that this earth was a hundred billion trillion years old made out of nothing and everything became everything out of nothing, then it must be true. And hence, we even see it from Big Pharma. It must be true. We see it from government. It must be true. And hence, whether it's media or social media, people are now following that which is meant to be of help and useful and of leadership where God has placed men and women into that position. They reject Christ and his gospel and they rest on their own understanding where God is no longer in their hearts, their thoughts, or their minds. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Listen to the Apostle Paul. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See the word, by the way, the image of God. You know what the word is? It's a Greek word, ikone. It's where we get our word icon from. It's the same word when the Lord Jesus, they said about, asked him, do we pay taxes to Caesar? He takes a coin and Caesar's head's on the coin. And he asks, whose image and superscription is this? And the word he uses is, whose ikone is this? And they say, well, it's Caesar, for that's who's on that coin. It says, render on the Caesar the things that are Caesar, but on the God the things that are God, God's. And, and we must do render on the Caesar things that are Caesar's, but never should we render on the Caesar the things that are God's. Never. And Christ is the iconic, is, he is the image of God. In other words, when we look at Christ, he is Yah, who is our Yahshua, our salvation, whom we spoke about. At the beginning of this message. Look at Christ and you see the Father. Look at Christ and you see Almighty God. Look at Christ and you see wonder of wonders. Look at Christ and you see our salvation. Here we find. Paul says the God of this world hath blinded the minds. Notice blinded the minds of them. Which believe not. See the word here for blinded. It's the word tofalo. Do you know what it gives the idea? It's a metaphor. It means to blunt, B-L-U-N-T, to blunt, 
one's mental discernment. To blunt one's mental discernment and to darken their mind. The God of this world, small g, is the devil, Satan. And he blunts the discernment of the mind. He darkens the very minds of men and women. There is no God. You are the master of your own destiny. And hence they are spiritually blinded. Talking to someone maybe here and you're still spiritually blinded. You're fighting against God. And so Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And I just had to jot it down because this word is just fantastic. It's the word ogazo and it means to shine. And it gives the idea, it's just not, well, I'm coming as a little light. But he comes and he beams his light onto you. It's like a spotlight shining right onto you. If this place went dark and I had a torch and I shone it in Wendy's face or Paul's face, it would be their face would see it. Be beaming into their eyes. It would nearly blind them with it. It's the idea that Christ and his gospel, when he is presented in all his glory as God, Yah, become Yeshua, come down. The Son of God is the Son of Man. And there he hangs and bleeds and dies for us on Calvary's tree. There the light of it, by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God, it shines right into the heart. It's like a beaming torch, shining directly onto the man and shining directly onto the woman. And it says, oh, you're saved, you need to be saved. And here is your Savior. And here is your Savior. Are you saved tonight? Are you saved tonight? Do you know him? Oh, but Isaiah 29 and verse 24 says, They that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. This word understanding is, is in verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 of chapter 29. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be hid. What the Lord is saying here is all of those who say to believe in God is to believe in fairy tales. To believe that Christ, the simple Lamb of God, could bear away your sin and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness and iniquities by the shedding of his blood. It's fairy tales. And they say all manner of degrading things about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in their wisdom, they think they're wise. And, and so even in the, in the sphere of science, you know, it can't be so that this has happened like the small hoar frost on the ground. What is it? What is this? Talk of Christ. What is this? But the Lord says, he says he would do a marvelous work and a wonder. Notice, for the wisdom of the wise shall perish. And one day those who are so mentally, spiritually blunted and darkened and blind to the glorious gospel of Christ, will one day, if they are not saved, they will perish in their sin along with every other Christ rejecter. And the prudent man shall be hid. He'll be no more, in other words. He'll be hid on the ground. He'll be buried. Here we find in verse 16 is the second one. Surely you're turning of things surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it? He made me not, or shall the thing frame say of him that framed it? He had no understanding. Take note of this. In verse 16, it gives the idea of this. That the world, that Israel, that our nation has become so perverse. It's like a pot has been turned upside down. Our world, our society, is like a vase or a pot and it's been turned upside down. And hence it says to the potter, who do you think you are? Imagine the clay. Imagine the pot. The vessel saying to the potter, you can't tell me how I was made. And I don't agree with you nor believe in you that you made me. 
and their world is turned upside down. I think if we're all honest with each other, we can see how the world has been turned upside down. Society has been turned upside down. The things that we we see every day, it's good is evil and evil is good and light is darkness and darkness is light and so on. And everything is turned upside down. And the, the people are now so against God and his word and his son and the gospel. Who do you think you are? Who does God think he is? I don't want to be in a heaven if this is the way this God is. And, and so on and such. And, and such the Lord says that in our nation and in Israel here that it would happen. And God says these are the type of people who have a murmuring spirit. And they're closed off and they're stuck in their ways. To the sense where the word of God is not prevailing. But the Lord says there's coming a time when all shall perish. Listen to Maurer's Maurer's, uh, words on this. Let me read verse 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say to him that made it, he made me not. Nor shall the thing framed of him say that framed it, he had no understanding. He didn't know what he was doing. God didn't know what he was doing. Listen to Maurer. Ah, He writes, ah, your perverseness, as if the potter should be esteemed as the clay. Listen to Horsley. He writes, ye invert, upside down, ye invert the order of things, putting yourselves instead of God. They they raise themselves up while lowering God down. The clay was just as worthy, as intelligent, and as powerful as the potter was. And hence we see it today in our world and in our society. We're intelligent, just like God. I don't need you. I don't believe in you. I can do what I want. I'm God of my own life. Live how I please. And so in Isaiah 29 and 24 it says, They that murmured shall learn doctrine. Simple way to put this is this. Murmuring was a characteristic of Israel's rebellion against God. Every time it's mentioned, it's in relation to Israel. Every time. It was a characteristic. See, Jacob means twister, surplanter, heel grabber. God changed them to Israel. But the old rotten nature would still be in them. Just like the old rotten nature is in you and in me. That's why the Lord says, and he speaks it loud and he speaks it clear. I am Yahweh, or the Lord. I change not. And we always stop there, but that's not the end of the verse. Therefore, because he doesn't change, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And what the Lord is saying is, I don't change, but because you're Jacob's seed, because of your flesh, you're a worm of Jacob, you change with the wind. But I remain the same. Thank God he remains the same. Thank God he remains the same. I change. He changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. I'm resting and trusting in the blood of Christ tonight. And the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Because he changes not. They will learn doctrine means they will be discipled. They will be given instruction. And hence with the word of God. That's who we are and what we are. 
And that's how we should be as believers in the Lord. So Exodus 16, please. That's my introduction. But I'm bringing it to a close. Exodus 16. And they took their journey from Elam. The congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation, there wasn't one that wasn't moaning. Poor Moses and Aaron. Listening to a whole lot of moaning and griping and whinging and gurning. And there's no moving them. There's no talking to them. They dug their heels in. They weren't good for moving or changing their minds. No matter what Moses or Aaron would try to do, there's nothing that would move these people. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat bread to the food, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Take note here. The people were spiritually blunted and spiritually blinded. They were living in their carnal state. They could have been induced, pardon me, they could not have been induced to leave Egypt. Couldn't have been coaxed out, even if the gates were open. They couldn't have been coaxed out. That's the way people are. You offer them the gospel. You preach unto them. And there the gates, as it were, of heaven are open. All they have to do is come and believe that God has sent the Savior. And they couldn't be induced out. It took ten plagues of the glory of God to shake them. Ten plagues for God to show them that he was the Lord. And it sort of dawns on them. Maybe we better move when God says move. Maybe we better obey when God says obey. They could not have been induced, but they had to be persuaded with the plagues. And hence in chapter 16 and verse 3, they speak of the flesh pots of Egypt. Everything always seems great and better in the world. The murmuring multitude were not on the brink of starvation, by the way, brothers and sisters. I want you to get this. You think they were emaciated here. You think that they were starving, but they were not on the brink of starvation, nor in a state of absolute want. They still had their flocks. They still had their herds. They weren't that long out of Egypt, really. They were not in a state of absolute want as they had everything they, ha- they needed. Notice, their starvation was more anticipated. Their starvation was more anticipated than it was experienced. And you know something? There's many people in anticipation. They start to get worried. They start to fall into unbelief. What if I can't make it? What if I don't do it? What if I can't get through it? And what about this? And what about that? And they start to have the anxiety building up on them. And they were anticipating something that hadn't even happened yet. And they were murmuring against God, stopping dead in their tracks. Listen, I know what it's like because we're all the same. There's times when I have looked that I really need God to do something. And I'm going to take a step of faith to step out. And Lord, if you don't meet the need, if you don't come along, and if you don't say, this is the way walk ye in it, and if you don't uh, help me along with this, the anticipation, I haven't even experienced it yet. But the anticipation will bring anxiety to me and, and worry to me and to you. It's where we have to believe God. God said, go. And when God says, go, God will meet the need. God will meet the need. Their starvation was more anticipated than it was experienced. And there was no starvation nor malnutrition, just all anticipation. Listen to Psalm 106, verses 12 to 15. 
Then believed they his words and sang his praise. Notice this. This is the praise that we have been talking about earlier. Verse 13. Listen now. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. And we soon forget what God has done for us in the past. We soon forget how God came through for us before. We soon forget that God is God. The cattle on a thousand hills and more are his. That he is the El, the great Elohim, the creator, the maker, the keeper, the sustainer of all things that ever was therein. And here's us minute on the planet earth here. And the God who fills all the universe says, trust me. And we are anticipating an experience we haven't even found yet. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. Verse 14. But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request. So sad. I believe we're at a point in our national life where we have trusted in everyone and anything. We trusted in the European Union. We trusted in the United Nations. We're trusting in the World Economic Forum. We're trusting in all of these things. We're running here. We're running there. Heather and thither. And God all the time is saying, if you trust me, if you bring me back into your nation, into your government, into your society, then I will meet your need. I will be your God. See, if we did that, if we did that, this, these British Isles would be the greatest Isles that the world had ever seen. The people are going, no, we must try this, and we must go here. And we had prime ministers going, and they're, they're, if they're not running with begging bowls to Europe, they're into France, they're going somewhere else. The Saudi Arabia and every, every other country they're running, they're, they're trying to help with the financial crisis, and they're trying to help with, well, before it was with the health crisis and with the COVID crisis, and, all of, and they're running here, there, and everywhere, hither and thither, looking for help from one and another, and they're all just men and women. They're all flesh and blood. But if they had looked upward and cried upward, instead of running about outward, the Lord would have come in and sorted the whole lot out. I believe it. Notice, he gave them their request. I think we're at a point now where Britain is going to go so far that the Lord's going to go, I think we're about there. Okay, off you go. See how you get on. You forgot about the time when I have kept you through wars. You forgot about the time when I blew with my winds and scattered a Spanish armada. You forgot about the time when I stilled the waters to bring you back from Dunkirk. You forgot about the times when I done, when I done, when I used you, when I gave you the word, when I gave you the print and presses, that you were the people to develop this and bring the gospel forth. You forget about the blessings. You forget about you were one of the richest nations and big greatest empires. You were the greatest empire ever to be on the face of the earth. You forgot about it. You forgot all that I've done. And what they've done, they turned their head away and they're starting to look after every other thing. That's what we're like in our personal life. We're run to this one and that one instead of turning to God. He gave them a request, notice, but he sent leanness into their soul. He sent leanness into their soul. That's what happens then. The country starts to get a leanness. If my memory serves me right, the word leanness is used four times in four verses in the whole of Scripture. And each one of them is to do with a wasting, like a wasting disease. Have you ever seen when a cancer eats at someone and they lose all the weight? This gives the idea of this. Someone has been starving without nutrients and sustenance for a long, long time. Gives the idea of that where their bones are showing through, whether it gives actually the idea of the faces collapsed in. Some of the actual Hebrew words, without getting into it, gives the idea of the muscle has wasted in the face and the very skeletal frame can be seen. The Lord says, well, in your soul, that's what you're like now, because that's what you want. 
And maybe you're going, Lord, I want it, I want it, I want it. Well, if that's what you want to say there, but how many get what they want? There's people who have asked me, pray for this and pray for that, pray for another. Where it could even be a job. And when they get it, when they get it, they fall away from God and the way they go with it. He says, is that what you want then? And they waste away in their soul. They waste away in their walk with God. People say, would you sign or would you write me a reference? I want to get this job and I've done many references I've written. I'm not, and I can still write them for you. I'm not saying no, I would never do that. But I would write a reference for those that I know. And when I write the reference, they go and they maybe get the job and all of a sudden God's house is forgotten about them. Next thing you find that they're just not really bothering with the Lord at all. And leanness is a wasting, as it were, disease has come into the soul of the man and the woman, for they have forgotten God. So someone has forgotten God. Forgotten him. I must close this. In Exodus 16, verses 13 and 14, the Lord gives them meat, which is quail, and manna, which is bread. And can I say, brothers and sisters, as I round this up and close this, that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. But the, the thing was, they wanted an earthly meat before a heavenly meat. When Jesus in John 6 feeds the, 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 the multitude with five barley loaves and two small fish, oh, they're, they're, they're his disciples. You know why? Because he's feeding them their flesh. He's given their body the sustenance. And that's fine. That's okay what they need. But they're forgetting who he is for he starts laying spiritual matters on them and they're spiritually discerned as we hear, heard earlier on. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're recoiled at this. And you know why they're recoiled at this? Because the law of God says that you're not to drink any blood. This man's telling us to break the law of God. And they all start to leave him. And he says, will you also go away? And Peter says to him, Lord, to whom else will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And in John chapter 6, he keeps saying, I am the bread of life. For they're saying... Our fathers at manna in the wilderness. They were looking for the flesh stuff. They're looking for the things to satisfy the flesh. And Jesus says, well, I can feed your flesh and I can meet your need. And he can do all of that, brothers and sisters. But we must not forget him nor be spiritually discerned that we're so blinded that we can't see what's behind it. And what happens? The doctrine of the mass is taken out of this because he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But they forget that the end of the verses there, he, and when he's speaking this, Jesus says, the words that I say unto thee, they are spirit. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's not literally my flesh and it's not literally my blood. He says, I'm talking to you in the spirit. He says, you're spiritually discerned. If you think this is my literal flesh and my literal blood, then you are blinded if that's what you think. I have so much to go through, but I'll stop there. I was uh, in London. I think the last time I was there, uh, not in London, the last time. I used to go and preach once a year, and Alison and I would have went over. And I think the last time I went was because I started pastoring in a church, and I had to be there every Sunday, and I didn't want to leave the congregation, so I stopped going to London to preach. I went into this old, I used to preach in this old church, and then, Alison and I maybe took the weekend before it, and then I went and preached on the Sunday. And we got on a tour bus, and we're on this tour bus, and it's come up towards St. Paul's Cathedral, and the wee man, is, you know, he's telling us all about it, the tour guide. And ahead of us is St. Paul's Cathedral, tells you the story and all about the Second World War and blah. And then he says, this is a working Protestant church. That was his words. So we get off the bus, and we go into St. Paul's Cathedral, and then the charge is... Ten pound each a time to get in. Thought I knew how to win the went in. But anyhow, it's a glorious building, but there's a big square 
inside a massive square, twice, maybe more the height of this. And along it was like a platform, one, just, one like this, only small, one step high. And right in the middle was one microphone. People are all over the place. They're looking at different uh, things that are up about the Reformation and so forth. And, and all of a sudden, this man comes in, all the black gowns on, gown on, and he says, uh, could we all just take a seat? Maybe we could have a word of prayer. So we sat down, said a prayer, nothing wrong with that. And at the end of it, he says, if anyone would like to know more about Christianity, please come along now. Speak to me. I'd love to talk to you about it. And by the way, if you're here at 12 o'clock, we're going to have a mass. I says, all right. So Alison turns around and I'm away across the, to see this man. I says, excuse me, did I hear you right? And he said, a mass? He says, yes. I says, you mean like a mass as in the real presence? And a wafer? And the wine? Yes. So I'm scratching my head. I says, tour guide said this was a working Protestant church. He says, oh, we are. I said, well, sure, how can you have a mass? Because that's a Roman Catholic thing. And he says, oh, no, no, we do it too. So this is where the conversation went. And I says, could you tell me, where do you find that in the scriptures? Oh, he says, it's, it's in the Bible. I says, well, where? Tell me, where is it? Uh, 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 it's, uh, it's, um, I've read it before, he says. This is what he, St. Paul saying to me. I've read it before. I says, where did you read it? Well, Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I says, I, and he says, the words that I say unto thee are spirit. It's the spirit of it. Don't say that in my Bible. I says, well, what Bible are you reading? Show me it. And by this time, there's a crowd gathered around us. <laughs> and there's a big, massive round plaque on the wall. I just said on it, uh, to the morning star of the Reformation. And I said, see that? I said, these men who have died and some are buried here, they would be turning in their grave of what you're doing. I said, if a mouse comes and you're breaking the wafer and it drops on the floor, and the church mouse comes along when everyone's away home and the doors are locked and eat that, is he eating Jesus then? And he turns to me and he says, well, I suppose he is, yes. I said, such blasphemy. Blasphemy. The thought of it. And this is what he said. The mouse may be eating Jesus, but he's not in the body of Christ. Because he's a mouse. Now, that's what he said to me. And I said, yeah, that's blasphemy. And he started walking away and I shouted the whole way across St. Paul's Cathedral at him, walking after him. And he went and slammed the door in my face. And he never came out again. Brothers and sisters, you see, they're still sparsely discerned, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant or wherever else. This, what we do at the Lord's table, it always remains bread. And the it's Jewish, but it always remains just Jewish. It's never the literal body and blood of Christ. But we remember him and we worship him in the spirit. And he gathers with us. This manna reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he said, I am the bread of life. He said on a few occasions, I am the bread of life. He also says, I am, the, I am the bread of life which was come down from God out of heaven. He's the manna on the ground. In Israel, we're to take it a day at a time. A day at a time. Brothers and sisters, see, our faith is a, a step at a time, a day at a time. And we take Christ by faith a day at a time. We walk with him by faith a day at a time in the spirit of it. Trust we're not sparsely blinded tonight to what's going on in our nation or in any of the churches or outside somewhere in the government in Westminster. Did I tell you a few weeks ago you couldn't trust trust? Isn't that what I said? 
You never know what you're getting. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the Word of God. To show you in this where God is pointing to our land, to our nation, to our people, for you and for me. But really pointing to Christ and the glory of Him alone. God bless you tonight. Thank you for listening. The rain was hammering down there and the wind was blowing. and But sure, we're, we're warm and we're dry and we're saved and we're satisfied in Jesus. But sure, where else would you be on a Sunday night? You know what we'd be doing? I can nearly say it for all of us, only I can't say it for all of us. You know what we'd be doing? You'd be sitting at an old TV, wouldn't you? You'd be sitting, and that's where a whole lot of them are. A whole lot of Christians tonight are sitting at the old TV, the world in their living room. That's what they're doing. They'll be sitting there on the Lord's Day with the feet up and maybe at the fire and think, well, I'm comfortable. And these are all out there. Well, you know what? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's where I'd rather be. Don't get me started. <laughs> Tim, would you come up, please? <laughs>